Welcome to Edify Presents Life in the Music Industry at the Apple Store Regent Street in London. Would you please welcome our host this evening, Edify founders Liam Klimek and Will Reed. Hello, everyone. Hello, everybody. Thank you for coming. Thanks so much for coming down. There's loads of people here. It's really scary. We haven't, uh, we've done the radio before and there's been absolutely no one in front of us, so this is a whole new world. Um, thanks so much for coming down. We're really excited to, to bring this to you today. It's, um, we're looking forward to kind of hearing the stories of some really, really influential people to us who have started labels that we really like. Um, we're looking forward to hearing just how they did that and, and how things are for them, for them now. So, uh, so yeah, I guess without further ado. Just before you uh, bring the guests out, I just thought I'd say quickly, uh, James uh, Frelfall from Mad Tech Records uh, is joining us this evening. He will be here. Um, James has just started a new job at Defected Records, which we're incredibly happy for him uh, about. Um, because he's new and it's his first week, uh, he is, uh, he's got to be at the office till close. So he will be joining us as soon as he can. Um, so when you see a blonde guy, slightly disheveled, run onto the stage, uh, he is not an imposter. He's James Ralfall from Mad Tech Records and uh, Defected Records, but I'll pass it back over to Will. Yeah, Sorry. so James will be here in a bit, but <laughs> without, without further ado, we'd like to bring out our, our guests. Please welcome Emily, Claudio, and Ash. Round of applause, please. Hi, guys. Good to see you again. So um, thanks very much for joining us. If we could just have from each of you a, a kind of a, just a two minute thing of, of who you are, what's your story and what you're up to now, that'd be amazing. So start with you, Claudio. Hello, my name is Claudio Lilo and I run Five Easy Pieces with a good friend of mine called Tom Lilly. He's not here today because he doesn't like speaking in front of people, um, but uh, we founded the label just under three years ago, and um, we're coming up to our 14th release, which is kind of doing all the PR for it now, and it should be out in a couple of, like eight weeks or something. Cool, thank you. Uh, on to you, Ash. Cool, my name's Ashley Sykes. Um, I co-run a record label called Push and Run with a very good friend of mine called Bub, along with Samir and Shemaine, who are probably here somewhere. Um, oh, there's a guy in a Push and Run t-shirt, which is really cool. Hi. Um, <laughs> And yeah, we put out about five or six records. Um, started about three years ago as well. So yeah. And Emily? Um, I'm Emily Moxon. I'm label manager of a label called Brownswood Recordings. It was founded in 2006. Um, I work for the broadcaster and DJ Giles Peterson um, running his label. Cool. Thank you, guys. All very articulate. That was very neat. Very neat. Um, so, much like our radio shows, we're going to sort of follow um, the stories of all three and eventually four of our guests this evening and sort of look at a chronology in your, f starting with a sort of what I imagine is sort of a love for music and then how you sort of followed that and developed that into a career. Um, so, I think the first thing I'm going to sort of start with, maybe starting with you, Emily, if that's okay. Um, who, if anyone, or what was a key influence in your in finding sort of a love for music, which went from not just a passion, but thinking, oh, actually, maybe I would like to uh, get paid by working in the music industry? 
Well, I don't think there was any particular uh, person that inspired me to get involved in the music business, but it was really um, just music, just a passion for music, really. Um, yeah, when I left college, I um, sort of uh, was just drifting around and uh, working in a, a furniture shop in Portobello and going out a lot. And um, uh, I met a woman uh, called Alex Kerr-Wilson, who was the manager of a reggae artist called Freddie McGregor. And um, I just was chatting to her about music and I went and did a couple of days uh, work experience for her. And uh, from there, I um, got chatting to the office next door, which was a drum and bass promotions company. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I just did like three days internship with Alex and then got a job answering the phone in this, um, in this drum and bass, bass promotions company that was next door. Awesome. And uh, Ash, how does your story sort of start? Um, I guess my father's like the biggest influence to me. He was, he is an A&R man, he's a manager now. And um, yeah, it kind of all started from then. I guess as a kid, like kids want to be firemen or something like that, or a policeman. And I kind of always wanted to be an A&R man from <laughs> since I was like five or six years old, because that's what he did. Um, and I guess the whole industry thing, we'd always kind of talked about starting a record label. And then when myself and Fawaz left university, Fawaz actually went to work uh, with Emily at Brownswood, and I was at Warner Brothers. And that's just kind of how it started, basically. Cool. And I'll extend that on to you, Claudio. When I, I moved here after, coming to un after finishing university, which was like six or seven years ago, and um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Always loved music. And um, I basically just started applying to a few things, like in PR for a bit. And then luckily there was an opening at a venue in East called Cargo, which used to be really good and is now really bad. <laughs> um, but I started out there and uh, that's where I met my label partner. He used to be my boss, which is quite funny. Um, and yeah, that I mean, music has always been a massive, massive part of my life. I, I think, you know, most people really love music and I never really thought that I'd be working in it, and then the opportunity just came, and so took it. And uh, a similar thing kind of happened with the label. I don't know if I'm in speaking in the we'll wrong order. We'll probably come back to that. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I've been buying records since I was like 17, and DJing all the time, just for like friends parties or whatever, then started getting paid for it a little bit. Still collecting records. I try to s stop buying them, but it's impossible. Um, any new city I go to, it's look for the good food and, and the record spots. And uh, yeah, nothing's changed really. That's cool. Um, Ash, coming back to you and your, your friendship with Bob, how, how did you take a friendship and then say, okay, maybe, maybe this will be a business that we look at, like a business model? Um, I guess the first thing was I said to him, we should start a record label and he was like, no. <laughs> and I kind of just wore him down over time in that we just had to do this because we were both really just geeky about music. Uh, from, like, I met him, he was like emceeing at this kind of rave at a cricket club in like the town that we live in, which is really weird. And I like, as soon as I walked, it sounds like kind of some kind of like love at first sight story, but I like walked and I was like, that dude is so cool, I need to meet him. And eventually we end up having mutual friends and yeah, we just kind of, I wore him down and was like, look, we need to start putting our records and 
I guess it's just a case of finding one. And as soon as we found the right one, we kind of just started from there. And what were his sort of like, where, was his, where did his resistance lie? Um, I don't know, you have to ask him. I feel bad because <laughs> he's staring at me right I now. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't, I don't know, because I was kind of like, we should just do it. And he was kind of like, no, yeah. let's not do it. And uh, Claudio, with Tom, uh, was there a mutual understanding that this would be something that, it, that we have to do? We feel like we have relationship with artists or artists that we need to see. Yeah, I mean, what the, the way that it started is we used to do it as a party. So, because we both worked at this club, we were like, okay, let's try to do something that's us and that we can kind of take to other cities around the UK or around Europe. So we did a few big parties, um, bankrolled by the club, so it wasn't really our, th like, we had no risk. Um, and then he ended up leaving to go work at Modular. I stayed for a bit and then quit because, oh, actually, I might not, shouldn't talk about it, but <laughs> I left um, for various reasons. And... Um, <laughs> And then we were kind of both doing our thing and I got this music sent from a good friend of mine and it was so incredible. It got played by Dame Funk on, I think, Giles' show while he was still on Radio 1. And then I said, if we don't release this, somebody else is going to and that would just kill me. And it's like, you know, we're both, we both have time. Loads of other people can start labels. Like, I, s I see my friends doing it, we could do it. You know, we're, we're just as switched on, if not more switched on, so we should do it. That's cool. I think that's quite a neat time to uh, pass over to you, Will. Yeah, so this is, I guess this is one of the big things that everyone wants to hear. <coughs> how, did, how did each of your h labels start? So we'll start with you, Emily, with Brownswood. What was the birth of Brownswood recording? Um, well, I'd been working in um, management. I worked doing management for uh, uh, five or six years, I think. Um, and uh, I always worked with artists who had their own labels. I was working with Ronnie Size um, and Full Cycle, Adam Freeland and Marine Parade. Um, and also uh, with Sway, the rapper, putting out um, his first album, This Is My Demo. Um, when we um, stopped managing Ronnie Size, it sort of left a bit of a, um, a gap in our business. So uh, Simon, who I worked for, was an old friend of Giles Peterson's and uh, went to him, really more looking to manage him, I think. Um, and Giles was just, I don't need a manager. Um, I, what I really want to do is start a label. Um, I'd, I'd been really a massive fan of Giles for, um, for a long time before that. And it was, it was literally like a dream come true to have this opportunity uh, come to me one day and um, I knew that Giles had been trying to start a label for a couple of years and I was like a Rottweiler. I was like, this is I happening. This is what the label's called. This is what the logo looks like. What do you want to release? And um, it was really um, six months um, before we put our first record out. And was it difficult to, difficult to get him to say yes or was that No, it's, um, I, I don't know uh, what it was, <laughs> I think. Um, I mean, I think one thing that's been really important to my career is that I've always been around music that I really believed in, and um, I've never, I mean, I've never worked for a major record company. Um, and I think it's like you kind of build a brand around yourself. And G uh, Giles knew me from, um, you know, from the drum and bass world originally, and uh, he knew I'd run labels, and uh, I think he just trusted me to get on and do it. Nice, very nice, very nice. 
Ash, over to you. Like, how did Push and Run? How was it born? Um, again, it was like me and Bob, and I was at Warner Brothers at the time, uh, working in the marketing department. So I was working on stuff like Madonna and Jason Derulo and the Black Keys, and he was at Brownswood, and we kind of made the decision eventually. I wore him down, and we were going to start the label, and we kind of decided we we're going to do everything properly in the an accountant, lawyer, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then we even went up to, we had a designer in Cambridge and we traveled for like two hours and spent three hours discussing like the, the flick on the end of the R on the logo. But we, nice. we shouldn't have a record at this <laughs> point. So like we did everything, we had everything ready to go, but we had no record. And then a friend of mine who was a producer at the BBC said that he'd heard this incredible demo on BBC Wales and that I should check it out. And we heard this record by Ifan and we're like, yeah. wow. And that was kind of it. Nice, nice, nice. And, and finally over to you, Claudio. What was the, the, the kind of story behind five easy pieces coming together? I guess I kind of spoke about it a bit already, but yeah, um, yeah the, this first, this track that I'd heard by my friend, Cheska, um, just blew my mind, totally blew my mind. And, um, and s we had already spent a long time with like myself and Tom, with a, a graphic designer who I work really closely with called Ross Gunter. So we designed this logo. And I, like, I'm obsessed with graphic design. So um, our first five releases are like the most beautiful thing you'll ever see. Like uh, just went on inside out cardboard, black, sleeve, black inner sleeves before black inner sleeves were the white inner sleeves. Um, they've done like colored vinyl. Um, and just so much attention to detail. And that, that started way back when, when we got our logo and our website. Um, so we already kind of had the building blocks, which is why it was kind of easy to start it up. We just needed the music and having talented friends really helps. Um, but so just asked her to write a few or just what else she had and got the four tracks together. And then it was really scary because it was like, okay, we've done something incredible. Now, how are we going to get the next release? And it took actually a while for us to release our second one. Um, and that was from another friend of mine who lives in Berlin. Um, totally different musically, but yeah, the, the, the label was just like organic friends passing around music and talking about what we liked visually. Amazing. So, so kind of two of you have touched on, on how you found those first releases. How do you actually go about from from hearing Ifan's tune on on BBC Wales or whatever, and from and from hearing your friend's tune, how do you go about actually saying right, we're releasing this, let's get it out there? Like, what were the physical steps to putting that first record up, and how how tough was it? Uh, we'll pass that over to to you first, Ash, since you since you volunteered. Um, the first bit was getting in touch with distributor. So, um, really luckily, my godfather's a record distributor, so I just called him and was like, I want to put this record out. And he, he was like, okay. So that, that was the first bit. The first record was actually a bootleg, so I don't want to say too much about it, but... Yeah. The first <laughs> record you're allowed to speak about. Okay, <laughs> uh, okay the first record that we're allowed to speak about, um, yeah, we kind of... That was the same process, of course, and then by that point we'd found a guy that we were going to press all the vinyl with. Um, we used an amazing guy called Matt at Air Mastering, and he masters a lot of kind of like great like electronic records so we use him for everything he's actually not air anymore he's got his own company but he's amazing so we got the records mastered and yeah by this point we'd had like house sleeves and yeah it was just a case of kind of putting it out there getting in touch with pr people amazing and that was it 
And Emily, how did the first release with Brownswood come about? How did it come to life? Um, <coughs> I think, yeah, good music just seems to uh, <laughs> find its way to us. I mean, obviously, um, the fact that uh, Giles is um, a radio broadcaster means that he's constantly being plugged from all angles and he's got a lot of people around him that feed him music um, and have his ear. Um, our first release was by Ben Westbeach and it, um, it came um, through a, a mutual friend of ours who played it to Giles in her car uh, in the car park at Creamfields uh, and he uh, was very excited and wanted to sign him on the spot. Nice, nice, nice. And, uh, and for all of you, we can, we can talk about it. I was for all of you, I was just going to ask what the biggest piece of advice that you would give from, from those earliest days would be from, from when you set the label up. What were the toughest lessons you learned and, and what could you pass on to the people here? I'll start with you, Claudia. Um, what's the toughest thing? I'd say uh, it's really kind of difficult to predict vinyl um, just because uh, pressing plants and distributors... It's not that, I mean, mistakes happen, basically. So trying to plan a release with a promo plan is, is not very easy. And having promo plans sort of fit to where you think things are going to come out doesn't work as well as it should. Um, so that's something really difficult. I'd say kind of give things a lot of time um, and expect delays. That's, that's a really big thing. Also... Um, I think it's worth paying for PR. At first we did, uh, I mean, we've gone through different phases of like paying for different sort of amounts and, you know, it, it, you gotta have certain rate, like DJs that will kind of, or their producers who will kind of listen to you and, you know, are happy to talk about what you're doing. But um, it really helps to have someone who like makes money off of talking to producers and bloggers and journalists because they have those connections and you know they're they're there to really sort of push your stuff um i mean yeah it's it's kind of i i wouldn't say any of it is actually hard it's just time consuming that's what okay. i'd say do you agree with that Ash? or are there there are there yeah, lessons i mean that you that was that you my point about vinyl in that we lost a lot of money very quickly but uh, the first record the bootleg we put out sold out straight away and we were like this is easy like this is so easy like we're geniuses <laughs> and then the next record we kind of pressed too many and lost all the money we'd made and more and then we were like okay it's not as easy as we first thought so i guess saving money at first and maybe not doing vinyl i know the vinyl is the holy grail for a lot of people that are into music but it's not the be all and end all it's a tough decision i, I would say that like yeah it's it's also figuring out or, or not being scared to not do vinyl because I know a lot of people say, you know, oh, if you're not a vinyl label, then you're not a real label. But it's, you know, it's it's a new sort of time that we live in, and vinyl is really, if you're gonna put something on vinyl, then it should be either for clubs, so like for DJs, like functional, or it should be like really collectible. So whether it's a seven inch or, and we we put out a few things on vinyl that we shouldn't have, um, because I used to say, you know, if it's not on vinyl, it's not worth doing. But it's it's just that's retard, like nah, not smart. We did a cassette as well because I really wanted to do a cassette. Because um, I, yeah, I listened to cassettes all through high school. Um, and we've actually done a couple of digital releases. And now what we're doing is kind of when we're breaking new artists, we're like, okay, 
if nobody knows you and you literally have no Facebook likes, then we'll probably do a digital-only release. If things look like they're going well, then we'll put you in a house sleeve, which is a house sleeve is just like is like a generic sleeve, and all you change is a little um, circle for for artwork. And then if it looks like we're going to sell more than 500 copies, then we'll go on and do like a full color sleeve, which is really expensive. Um, but uh, no, it's really, yeah, really it's interesting. Really oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and finally, over to you, Emily. Like, what were the biggest, toughest lessons that you learned in the? Uh, in well, the I've days? suffered from from both these problems: overpressing and um, having massive delays on manufacturing. Um, I think just not, you know, not don't risk more money than you can afford to lose is just a really important thing. Start small. Don't be afraid to sell out of something. You know, uh, if you sell out of a record, your next one will be more in demand, more desirable, so, yeah. Sure. And, uh, over to you, then. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just a couple of things in regards to the first release, just whilst we're here. Um, how did you guys get the budget together for the first release? If you, you know, nothing too uh, detailed, but just like kind of having that ambition and then turning, turning it into sort of like and financing it. So um, maybe Ash, if you don't mind, if we start. We kind of do everything ourselves, so it's kind of just a case of saving money, which is a really boring answer, but... No, that's cool. I think, well, I think fundamentally it's important that, you know, every, if you want to... When it's a creative thing, all the passion in the world is not going to get it released. I think there needs to be a financial element to it that people need to take seriously. Oh, James is here. <laughs> Everybody, welcome uh, James from Mad Yeah, Tech please give James a round of applause. Hey, buddy. Hello. Hello, everyone. Congratulations on the new job. Thanks very much. I appreciate <laughs> it. Sorry I'm late, everyone. Sorry. <laughs> um, we're currently talking about debut releases. Um, we've skipped a few bits out uh, on, on you, so maybe we'll come back and profile you soon. No worries. <laughs> uh, everyone can add you on Facebook. That'll be cool. Yeah, be Loads of new friends. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, financing the debut, the first release. Um, Emily, with with Giles's involvement in the label, w did that make things different to sort of how uh, Push and Run did things? Yeah, it it definitely made it easier. The fact that he'd um, had uh, some uh, track record as an A and R man meant we were able to go to. I mean, we funded ourselves for the first year um, from advances from distributors, which would be very difficult to get if you were um, starting completely from scratch. Um, so yeah, it's tricky to start from scratch. That's cool. A lot of people would attribute parties to being hugely influ influential. And, and for Mad Tech, James, and I imagine we've defected too, parties are hugely important for funding, right? Yeah, it's, 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 it's a huge focus for, for everything, really. I think, I think also like a lot of the parties sort of line up with obviously with your releases as well. So obviously if you've got a main release coming out, you do a party around it. And, you get, you, and it's, it's an opportunity to bring up young upcoming artists as well on the lineups on the lower down the arts as well. So it's really important to have that feature. With London being full of club nights every night of the week, you, ha you, can't, you can't not feel like you're missing out on a party that had to be attended. How would you, would you say that parties are the be all and end all way uh, of funding things? Like, or would you suggest there are more creative ways? Claudia, I feel like I, you're I desperate to say something. I actually have to talk about this because uh, <laughs> when we just started the label, we had put the first release out and everything was going amazing because it got played everywhere and it was like sold out. Um, 
and then we decided, because our backgrounds are parties, we decided to do a party. And I used to work at this venue called The Camp, the City Arts and Music Project. So um, hired out the basement, booked m like a, an amazing, incredible lineup with Maurice Fulton headlining, who's like both of our heroes. And um, we ended up losing three grand like, on that night. So it was just the worst kick in the teeth ever. And that w like from then on, we decided like we're never ever we're at, I think we're probably London's worst promoters. Like <laughs> <laughs> I actually I'm pretty sure that's true. Um, but we just we never put any money into parties anymore because we realized that like promoting is not our strength. Like we we can find good music and you know work hard on promoting it, but parties are just not where it's at in my opinion. So that's cool. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> fine. Uh, so what what would you say? I mean. I know you guys uh, ran a pretty cool T-shirt. Is oh merchandise? Yeah, no, but that, that's also like that's me, you know, like going for design and loving the design so much, think and thinking, oh, they should be on a T-shirt, and that the T-shirts didn't go so well either, actually. <laughs> <laughs> like they went okay, but I thought they were just going to sell out in a second because I also do a T-shirt project with my friend Ross, who does all the design, and our T's sell out really quickly, but because they're mostly like graphics led. Although this stuff is too, I don't know, I'd say maybe we didn't put our strongest artwork on the tees. I'm actually wearing one now. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can see it later maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, what was it? I forgot what I was saying about That's fine. money, That's cool. funding. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> I think we're sort of done. Um, and then Emily with uh, Brownswood and the Worldwide Festival, um, which came first? Um, Brownswood came first, but um, yeah, we as well. Um, I think um, as because we started in 2006, um, uh, just music piracy was a very live issue and we were just seeing declining record sales and so, um, and live music was very bubbling. So we, we became um, uh, promoters, uh, live promoters as well. We've got a, a good database uh, and a good track record of promoting. Um, but uh, Brownswood's really developed into like a kind of portfolio of businesses around Giles Peterson's brand, I suppose. Um, and the label is is an important part of it. But I think, you know, probably for all of us, uh, including Brownswood, and, and perhaps this is a good thing for people here to know is there's, I think there's an element with all of these things that it's like a bit of a hobby and a bit of a labor of love for all of us. I mean, um, Giles um, really sees Brownswood as like a fun kind of hobby business, which is, I mean, it makes it really enjoyable to work there because it's not like super high pressure that that's the only income stream coming into um, the company. But um, yeah, I think um, a, a lot of independent labels are really a labor of love. Cool, thank you. Um, the next thing that I wanted to talk about after kind of um, touching upon the, the first release um, with the labels was sort of the development of your rosters. You all have rosters that we're certainly huge fans of and I imagine a Absolutely. lot of people here are fans of. Um, how how did it begin to develop and what sort of um, focus do you guys place on A&R and how do you go about uh, about your A&R kind of what's the plan uh, I'll, I'll probably start that with you James um, for me A&R I mean usually it, 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 it comes down to 
we will find you, you know, most of the time. That you, you, you'll find people on, on websites and on blogs. And, and I, I, a lot of music that I find is from, from mixes on the radio and mixes on various websites and blogs and that kind of thing. That's how I find most of my, my tracks. Then you sort of develop it from there, really. And, and, and as I say, you start putting them on, on live lineups. You start put, like, try and place them in, in certain locations in the label. And then you sort of develop naturally through that process, really. That's how I usually find it. Cool. Claudio? I basically spend like all all my time listening to new music. Um, I'm I'm a booking agent, and um, I started out only a couple years ago. So a lot of the, like by necessity, the people that I could sign were kind of starting out. Um, and yes, yeah, so I, j- I literally just spend like all all day and a lot of weekends. It's just it's just kind of what I do. And I'm sure if I wasn't working in music. I still would do it to a certain extent, but now it's just you know just always looking for new stuff, um, and the roster developed really organically. Um, I think pretty much everyone that we've signed, um, I have some sort of personal like friendship with, um, and yeah, it's just kind of the first record. Like I said, um, was a really good friend. The second record, another really good friend. The third record, a really good friend who was making music like house, see techno stuff, and then. He had a side project where he was singing, and he was embarrassed, too embarrassed to tell anyone. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, this is amazing. Uh, we got to put this out. Um, and, yeah, er- everything. Like, I've, I've had meals and beers and, you know, jokes with, with everyone on the label. Um, and I think, yeah, it'll, it'll keep being like that. I've actually only signed one thing. We've actually only signed one thing where we haven't met the people. That's going to be, like, in, in two more releases. They're Italian guys. Um, and yeah, demos, like, get a few demos, and we listen to a few demos, but it's, I don't know, usually, like, if your music is good, people will find out about it. So sending demos to labels, I don't know, like, if your music is good enough, you can just put it on YouTube or put it wherever, and people will hear it. So, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say sending and, demos. And would you personally recommend that for uh, an, a new artist that is looking to kind of grab the attention of any of your guys' labels, would you suggest, you know, don't beat around the bush, just upload your music online and people, if it, if it warrants that attention, it will get it? Yeah, yeah, and I think, I mean, so many people run labels nowadays that someone you know probably knows someone that runs a label. I mean, maybe that's just my world. Um, at the, yeah, that probably sounds a bit, <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know, lame, but... Um, yeah, I'd say if your music is good s- and you put it and you upload it somewhere, someone like me, you know, will hear it. Uh, like us, you know, that w- we'll hear it. Because, um, you know, we just listen to music all the time. That's cool. And Ash, so Ifan was the was the debut release? Yeah, and w- he's just from a really random small town in Wales. So I guess ours is kind of the opposite to yours in that we kind of just search people out. And I think the one really interesting thing is that I guess once you find one artist, they tend to lead you to another. And that's kind of been true of our label. And on the subject of demos, Bodhi is like one of our releases. They kind of emailed us a demo, which was terrible. But we kind of kept in touch and eventually started putting out their records and managing them. So yeah, I guess that's kind of part of the A&R process in that you might hear like a glimmer of something good and you kind of just keep talking to them. Um, and uh, Emily, 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's almost like entirely word of mouth, I would say. It's quite rare that we've, um, well, I don't think we've ever signed anything from just being sent a demo, um, like cold called, I suppose. I mean, we do do a compilation series called Browns with Bubblers, which is more um, about, um, well, it's about new artists and unsigned artists. So, um, uh, yeah, I um, we'll we'll kind of occasionally trawl through our SoundCloud Dropbox, and um, we we do um, try and listen to stuff that's being sent. But I, yeah, I don't think we've ever signed someone just from from being sent a demo. Okay, I hope that's good for good advice for everybody. Hey man, um, well I think it's I think we're running out of time. So I don't know if you've got time for one more question then Q and A. So there's a couple of a couple of questions that we'd like to get over before the Q and A. So you guys have have done fantastic jobs of, of running your labels this is, this is hopefully testament was there a was there a time when you were like yeah things are going think like was there a moment where you kind of realized that the project was going well that, that it was being well received by by people and we'll start that with you Emily if that's right um yeah I think um like when we started Brownswood, we really didn't want to put a lot of fanfare about Giles Peterson starting a new label. We really wanted to focus on the artist, so we just kind of quietly started putting out records. So, yeah, it's really nice when people write nice things about you in the press or online or whatever. Um, w when working artist projects, my favourite moment is always... Um, going to see them live and hearing an audience sing back the words of their song because they've heard it on the radio. It's just always such an amazing feeling. You're like, oh, it's working. What we're doing is actually working. Um, so yeah, I, there's, there's been many moments like that, but they're, they're always quite special. Amazing, and um, for you, Ash, is there a particular moment that sticks um, out? Probably just hearing our records out in clubs. Because, I mean, it's happened to us a few times and where we haven't, we're like, this song's amazing, what is it? And it's like, Oh, it's our record. And nice. That, that's always awesome. Like, I love that. So I'd say that, definitely. And to pass it along. I think um, the first time it was played on uh, G Giles' show, actually, like uh, on Radio 1, and then when Benji B played it, it was just, we kind of just went insane. We were like, oh, my God, oh, my God, it's on radio. Ah. Um, and then a few people sent us clips of it being played in clubs. Um, which is great. Whereas now it's like if if Giles doesn't play it, we're like, what the, you know, what's yeah, going what on? What have you done wrong? <laughs> what's <Yeah>. going on? <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, yeah, we have a few guys that it's like now we expect radio play, which is kind of weird. But it's just like, okay, you know, we're doing another release. We have to be played by like this guy, this guy, yeah. this guy, this girl, this girl, um, which is kind of funny. And James, was there a particular point when when Matt took? I think it's the same. Mind. I'm I'm the same as Claudia. I think it's it's, it's when your heroes that you've grown up with and you really respect. You know, people like. Pete Tong and Zane Lowe and Giles and people like that who actually pick up your tracks and, and then they're actually playing something that you've listened to a thousand times in your office and you've written a press release for and, and someone's playing it who you respect and I think that's, that's an amazing feeling of accomplishment. Amazing. And, uh, and finally, for, for now, is there one piece of advice that you could, that you could kind of give to people that want to be involved or, or, would, or would love to see themselves uh, doing what you're doing now? And is there I anyone I that I would go say forward? Just, just do it. I'd say uh, there's there's no I reason. I think that slogan's to. taken. <laughs> <laughs> well, just yeah, go like go for it. There's nothing stopping you at all. Like, it's just if the music is great, um, work with someone who likes visuals and just go for it because it's really not that hard. And if you're passionate about it, um, and it's good enough, then it will kind of spread. It will spread, and you know you might 
not be able to make a living off of it like you know i i, I can't um you know maybe one day but well, actually no i'm not I'm not gonna quit my day job but <laughs> it would be nice to make like a decent listening. amount of cash but just do it because you can like anyone can do it i cool. think anyone else want to come forward for that or should i put it on james i think just just love the music you're working with it's a bit of a cliche but honestly do and i think don't listen to all the the general talk in the industry you know about how the there's not much money to be made and i think I, th I think there's more money to be made now than ever i think you just need to be imaginative and use your imagination and use your online tools that are there and make up your own i think just you know just use your imagination and be creative and there's, there's more opportunities now than ever nice emily can you add to that at all um yeah um all of that and um yeah just be nice to people and um you know create a network for yourself um you know the independent uh, sector i think is a very um supportive community if that doesn't sound too kind of hippie-ish but um uh yeah and uh, you know people just people you know come around so yeah uh, be nice um i just say be patient i think that when you deal with artists they're difficult is the word i choose so yeah you have to be patient and i agree with your sentiment about just doing it like we spend a lot of time kind of just talking about it so i think the best thing to do is just go for it great amazing um, I think for now, if we could give our panel a round of applause, that'd be great. So, uh, so now we're going to open it to the floor. If anybody has any questions, I guess it would be like, put your hand up. So what, what's a day in the life of you guys? And James, we'll start with you. Um, <laughs> um, obviously, lots of listening to music and that kind of thing, but... Uh, there's a lot of boring stuff to do as well, like uh, PRS registrations, MCPS, all that kind of stuff. So there's not, it's not all glorious, like listening to music all the time. So there's a lot of day-to-day -day things to sort out, a lot of, of writing of press releases, um, emailing people, uh, securing exclusives, speaking to radio producers. So there, there's a whole lot of things to do. And, you, and, and you, usually it's like day by day you take things on and wherever comes your way, you've got to sort out. And the next day's the next day. And that's usually mine anyway. Yeah, great, thank you. Claudio? I um I mean I like I said I have a I have a day job, so I don't there's no like a day by day thing. For me, like what I'll do sometimes and I've done twice this week, I've had I've had like uh early morning meetings with my label partner before I go to work. Um so we like go have a coffee and talk about stuff and like type stuff and email people and plan things and then I'll do more work at night after work and uh yeah on the weekends. So, yeah, it's not. <laughs> cool. Ash? Um, well, my day job's in music, so I kind of manage producers and work in publishing. So I guess that's the day job. And then throughout the day, uh, the push and run t kind of team are in constant contact. And we meet at weekends, and we're constantly talking to artists and going out. So, And obviously all the boring admin stuff that we have to do as well. Yeah, yeah. Are you still hanging out in cricket clubs? No. I'm a football man, unfortunately. Okay. Sorry to cricket. Um. Um, yeah, I think um, in a, a small company, you have to kind of wear a lot of hats. I think a label manager's job is um, there's a, a big element that's creative, obviously the music, um, putting together your artwork, um, the, uh, the the marketing plan. Um, but there, yeah, there is a lot of admin uh, to do as well to do with copyright also as um the money coming into labels has become um more fragmented you're looking at a lot of income streams analyzing where your money's coming from 
Um, uh, liaising with artists and their management is a big thing. Um, uh, spending a lot of time on PR, a lot of time on your social networks uh, and doing promotion. So, um, yeah, it's a, a, a big mix of skills, I would say. Great, thank you. Does that answer your question? Thank you very much. Uh, does anybody else have a... Yep, sure. Just talking about managing relationships between running the label and uh, sort of staying friends with, with the artists. Um, Ash, we start with you. Friends with the artists or friends with the people you run the label with? With the artists or with the guys? That just everybody, keeping everybody happy. Um, yeah, I think that's one of the main skills that you need. You need to be really good with people. And I'm quite lucky with Bob in that we're really close friends. So we can kind of say, you've missed that or you've messed up and not kind of catch any feelings about it. I think with artists, that kind of comes with time. We, but we manage a few artists together and it's different for each one. Someone like Ifan is incredibly difficult to deal with in that he doesn't really want to respond to text messages or emails or phone calls for three months or put out any music for a year, then he'll deliver an EP and want to put it out in like a, the next week. Whereas someone like Bodhi are kind of going to deliver you a demo every week. And uh, yeah, it's just different people you deal with in a different way. So I guess I hope that answers the question. Has anyone else got anything to add to that? I'd say just kind of um, the easiest thing is to make sure you pay everyone and pay them on time and are very clear about um, like s statements. So you s for artists, it's like, okay, this is how many records we've sold. This is how much money we've made. This is how much it cost. This is how much you get paid. You know, let's go. Uh, with the graphic designers, like, you know, we just pay them and then that's, that's, that's how to keep friends I've, I've found is just be super straight and very nice. Um, and super clear with money. Uh. Hi, um, I was wondering how you're working really specific genres, which can be very DJ-led, very club-led. How do you make sure that your music gets out to the people in the club on the dance floor that might not be listening to the specialist radio, might not be DJs themselves buying vinyl? How do you make sure your music gets to them? Anybody want to take that first? So channels are just... Yeah. <laughs> James, I guess your music is probably most uh, club-based. <laughs> um, uh, there's a lot of different services. I mean, it, it, a lot of it comes down to uh, uh, contacts as well as how much money you're willing to spend. Yeah, that, uh, there's people like Your Army who you can use to get your, 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 your music out to the clubs, stuff like that, and, and make sure it's played in, in various venues and, play and that, things like that. But uh, as I say, it also comes down to contacts as well and who you know and who you're willing, who are willing to play your music and... A lot of people, especially these days, you know, they hear music on the radio or on the radio or in mixes and stuff, and then they'll head straight to Beatport and buy it, and, and that's the way it is. I mean, every other person is a, a, a DJ these days, so it's quite easy to get music out there. It's, it's not it's hot, easier now for dance music than ever, I think. I'd say for anyone running a label, you need to identify who the kind of key people are that are going to help you get your music out there and just befriend them. It's very easy to... Um, you find contact details, find an email address really for anyone. So whoever the key people are in your scene, uh, try and form a relationship with them and, and get them your music. I just got a simple question. Uh, from the completion of a, of a record, you know, the mastering is done, how long between then and the release would you say you would have for a single and for an album to properly prepare a good uh, marketing campaign? 
Emily probably knows Emily's better than all of us. Emily's probably the best person for um, this. For an album, um, I like to have 16 weeks from mastering, uh, and I like to have the uh, at least the album cover done at that stage. So it's very kind of set in stone uh, if it's uh, if one of the if that's over christmas you really need to allow an extra kind of two three weeks for a single uh, you can really um if you're just releasing something digitally you can really turn it around in two three weeks um uh browns with bubblers the cd thing we do we tend to turn that around very quickly do the licensing get it mastered get it out there as quick as we can kind of like five six weeks so that the the tracks are fresh Cool. Um, Say so for EPs, it's usually just like eight weeks in my experience. Um, but if if vinyl just slows everything down, so it's it's kind of this figure that you can't really put your your finger on. Cool. Hey, does that answer your question? Thank you very much. Hello. Um, uh, question for each of you. Uh, you talked about money specifics. Uh, how much would you expect it to cost uh, to put out a record? And what return would you anticipate would be, yeah, okay, that's been successful. So specifics, please. So I'm guessing we're going to get some, some different answers here um, based on the different labels, but does anyone want to take that I mean, first? like, uh, that totally depends on, on, on the project, you know. It depends who you work with. It depends if it's an album, an EP, or whatever. I mean, I mean, if you're a major label, you can spend 40 grand, you know what I mean? Or, or, or if you're an indie label like ours, you might spend as low as... 500 pounds on a release, you know, it, it, it completely depends on the vocal, depends on the mastering, depends on so many different factors, you know. Really specific. For, for us, it's like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, um, it depends, mastering, if you work with Matt Colton, who's, who's amazing, and everybody wants to work with him, he's like super expensive. So you can do cheaper mastering um, with different people. But for, for like a vinyl release, in my experience, usually you're looking at something like two to two and a half grand. Um, that's for like full color sleeve, uh, paying for PR, um, and still keeping everything on, on a budget for like 500 records. Um, doing well is breaking even. So it's kind of, it's difficult to make money in, unless you press more than 500 records. And you're not really going to sell more than 500 records unless you're doing like dance floor heat. <laughs> and that like <laughs> sells out and everybody's playing. And um, I mean, I don't know. It's so yeah, it's, it's pretty difficult. So you can go other ways of just, you know, doing cheaper packaging, just putting out like a white label thing, which is, you know, really easy um, and cheap. I'd say that's probably closer to like a grand. But and then you don't do PR as well because it's just like club tracks. Um, so it's cheaper and easier that way. Cool. That was pretty specific, actually. But yeah, um, <laughs> yeah it's it really ranges. It's really that's a really difficult question to answer. I've worked on like really big like Madonna album campaigns and spent like a million and then like spent a grand on an if and release. First release, um, probably about 900 pounds. And I think we cleared, I think we made about just over a grand back. And like we were high-fiving each other about that. That was amazing. That's a big achievement, genuinely. Like anybody else? Hello. Um, I was just wondering, because I'm a singer-songwriter, and I was wondering, when you find artists, and however you find them or know them, how, how much do you expect them to be like a completed brand already when you find them? Or how much kind of development and help do you give them? Anybody? 
I, I think um, I don't really expect to um, find artists being a, a, a fully uh, rounded, ready to market um, entity, I suppose. But uh, what we really look for is vision, I think. Um, and, uh, you know, you might, if you're unsigned, um, you know, you might not be able to afford to get the best press shots done, you know, for female artists, it sort of, it, you know, all of that stuff um, can cost quite a lot of money. Um, but it's just, I think you can just tell when you're talking to an artist if they've got a vision, and that's always really exciting. I've come to notice that most people already know kind of who they want to, or how they want to be perceived or presented, and it's kind of, I quite, I kind of expect people to, to, to know who they are and how, how they want to, like, what they want the artwork to look like, what, what they want their press shots to look like. Um, I think, yeah, it's, it's pretty rare to find someone who's like, okay, you know, how are we going to do this or how are we going to do that? I think most people, in my experience, know exactly what they want. Cool. I think Will's going to give one of these chats. Should we go for a question down here? Yeah. His mic. Um, yeah, I was wondering if you ever had a big argument about what to release and whether you've had to really fight your corner about it. And the second part of that question, have, do you ever feel restricted by the sort of genre of music that you've chosen? You do you find new stuff and you're like, I really want to release that, but I can't? Yes, is the answer to that. Um, yeah, because me and my labour partner, like, I think musically we're on a different wavelength, maybe. So he's kind of, he would put me onto stuff like Dilla and then alternatively, I would go crazy about like an album track on the Miley Cyrus record. And we're, li we're like that different. And then I guess the push and running is us kind of meeting in the middle. So there are, there are times, and going, the second question was about being restricted by genre. Yeah, definitely. Because I think in our kind of day jobs, um, my label partner works at Universal now. So in our day jobs, we're dealing with kind of like, I guess like more mainstream acts. And I think there's a tendency for us of kind of getting what we would call like artists rather than producers. And like, are we gonna kind of take that route going forward? Uh, yeah, that's difficult. I mean, like on your question, I think it kind of relates to that point in that I find it very rare to like meet like an artist. I think I've, I've only met like a couple in like the past year. Like to me, like some, an artist was like someone that like knows exactly who they are, what they want to be before anyone's told them. I hope, does that answer your question? Okay, cool. I, I would say like a really cool thing about working with Tom is that we kind of just totally agree on most music. So we've actually never had an argument about any, anything really um, music wise. Just like we, when we stopped doing parties, everything was cool. <laughs> um, and uh, Have you ever felt restricted by the, the genre of oh music? Oh, no, that that's, yeah. We, we put out just so many different things, and I find it quite funny when labels say that they're eclectic when they just release, like, different types of house music. Well, we actually, we do, like, um, sh I don't know, weird, like, boogie, new boogie funk, like, shoegaze stuff. Um, I don't even know how to classify our, our latest release. Um, but yeah, it's like really eclectic and it, it, it kind of shoots us in the foot because we build up all these contacts and all these people who love a certain record and then we can't use those same contacts for the next record. So it would be, it would be amazing. Like I would love to be a label who just did one thing 
but it could never happen because we like so many different types of music. So I think in the end it'll pay off because people will look back at all of our releases and say there is a sort of common thread to them, even though they're all totally different. Emily, have you ever felt restricted by the genre? No, too? never. In fact, we um, we kind of make a conscious effort not to kind of sign two things that are too similar. So um, uh, our, our next record is um, really a kind of um, quite straight up um, jazz record. Um, following that is um, a record that's going to be uh, like an electronic duo kind of future-based thing. So, um, yeah, th the, the only real restriction on it is not doing anything that's too similar to something else we've done. Nice. And James, to go for the first part of that question. I mean, I, I, thi I think the biggest problem I, I, I had anyway is the temptation to release everything. I mean, like, as, as an A&R for a label or running a label yourself, I think there's always temptation to, you find something great one day, you want to release it the next week, and then you find something else the next and you want to release that as well. Because there, there, there's a lot of great music flowing around, and there's always a temptation to get it as quickly as possible. And I think you've got to be tough on yourself and control yourself and just have a vision within your mind and sort of go with it and trust yourself as well and yeah good insight good insight um <coughs> are there any more questions one at the back there possibly the most difficult place to get a mic to Hubert's over there as well spokes <laughs> should give spokes the mic when when you get given a or when you hear a load of different tracks i'm guessing you'll you'll kind of travel through and you'll hear a load of different stuff how do you know when the track that you want to sign is the one? I don't got an answer for that one, straight away. I think it's just gut instinct. You just know it when you hear it. I'd agree with that. And I keep listening to it again and again. It is kind of hard, though, because sometimes you think, like, do I love this? Do I love this? You know, I kind of love it, but I'm not really sure how much I love it. And then there's, you also don't want to ask too many people. But there's a few friends that I have, and I send it. It's like my girlfriend as well. I send her something, and if she doesn't like it, then it's like, oh shit, maybe I shouldn't release it. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> um. um, I think you like naturally find yourself listening to the same track over and over and over again, just naturally. That's what I do anyway. I'm sitting on my computer, and I end up just clicking it just through like four or five times a day, and you realise that that's that's definitely the one. Um, one more question? Yeah, I think the. Yeah, she's been very patient. Yeah, sorry <laughs> about this. Thank you. Um, I was thinking that a lot of some labels and also management companies, they kind of sign artists early, develop them, and then to manage maybe the loss of money in the first or, s or second release, that they wait until they do like a deal where it's kind of like they, they wait until they're signed to a major label and they take maybe a cut from the advance or the major label deal to kind of um, compensate for the the loss of money in their first release, but that has, but that first release has kind of got them to the major label deal. Is that what you kind of look to do, or in the label situations that you have? I mean, I just we just try to sign really good things and yeah, see what happens. But usually, you don't have that kind of strict agreements. Like unless a major licenses one of your songs that gets like re-released, then maybe you'll have some sort of deal. But um, usually, it's quite separate. And I mean, I I actually. We don't sign artists for like several records. It's kind of just like, here's a record. We'll put it out. We'll see what happens. Um, we haven't done any albums yet. We will do, um, and then we're gonna maybe do options. But yeah, until then, it's all been pretty easy. I'd I say think. that w I'd say that we do do that without realizing. 
but that's not related to the record company because if you're a small label, it's quite difficult to tie someone down over a number of releases because you've got to give them an advance, which we can't afford. Um, but I'd say that in a way, because we manage a couple of the acts, I guess the hope is that we're kind of investing in their future and that in some indirect way, we're going to kind of reap the rewards of that via putting the record out, but also hopefully them going on to bigger things, which we're happy for them to do. Emily, is that ever a consideration for Brownswood? Yeah, I mean, we've done that um, successfully once with Jose James. I mean, I think a lot of the time independent labels are um, much better than major labels at really kick-starting artists' career. So, uh, yeah, you do see that a lot, that, that someone will start out their career on an independent and um, then go on to sign to a major. And I think in that instance, it is only fair that um, the independent label is... Um, rewarded for making that initial investment but you know it's it's uh, not something everyone uh, all artists want to get into i think i think there's a lot of um, suspicion and negativity around kind of signing to a label or signing uh, for too long so you know but it, it's just it just comes down to a negotiation if the if the deal is right for the artist and the label then um yeah it should happen thank you uh, James, anything to wrap it up with? Um, I think this sort of harks back, you know, to the actual relationships that you have with the artists, and you know, if if you cultivate a really decent relationship with the artists and around the campaigns you run with them, I think they're they're more liable to stay with you and and keep wanting to grow with you and grow with the label. Um, that's what I found Matic anyway. That you could, a lot of these artists you found, you could develop them over months and months, and and you found they stayed with you, which I think is an amazing thing considering. Great. Um, Guys, I think we're finished. Um, so please uh, put your hands together for everybody and all the questions and the panel especially. Um, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Um, similarly as well, we'll be back here next month with another panel, so stay tuned online for kind of more details uh, via the website here for the Regent Street Store and uh, edifier.co.uk. And in the meantime, have a wonderful evening and thank you so much for joining us all. Thanks so much.